Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today I want to tell you about a special driver's car that's the last of its breed and one that I think deserves your attention more than most. It's from that little German company that called its cars the ultimate driving machine for many years. Now, I'm not wholly convinced that BMW still has a strong grip on that marketing position, but today's car definitely falls into the category of fantastic driving machine, and it's one I highly recommend. It's a two-door coupe with a hydraulic steering rack that provides excellent feedback through the steering wheel, an outstanding suspension for those who love balanced handling, and my favorite attribute, it has the N52 engine the last normally aspirated inline six-cylinder engine offered by BMW in the U.S. And if you want to buy a new BMW today, it comes with the added cost and complexity of turbochargers or an EV battery pack and motor. No smooth, non-turbo inline six-cylinder for you. So, what is this special BMW? Well, I'll tell you what it is and why you might want one in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. BMW has made all manner of engine configurations over the years, from horizontally opposed boxer two-cylinder motorcycle engines to three-cylinder, four-cylinder, six-cylinder, eight- and 12-cylinder engines for their road cars. But I would argue that BMW truly made its mark in the U.S. with sports sedans and sports cars that featured silky smooth inline six-cylinder power. I'm talking about the 3 Series, the 5 Series, and 6 Series coupes and sedans from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, along with 6-cylinder models of their Z3 and Z4 sports car and the 2-door coupe and M-coupe cars. So if you've been into performance over the last 30 years from the company that claims that ultimate driving machine mantra, you probably have a deep connection to at least one BMW with a normally aspirated inline 6-cylinder engine. Now, one of my favorites is the 2.5 liter M20 engine found in the 1987 to 1991 BMW 325iS. It's simple, it's robust, and makes a great sound with the right exhaust. But the engine output is relatively meager at 168 horsepower. And a 325iS from that era that's in, say, driver quality condition would cost probably $25,000 to $30,000 today. So at that price... The E30 325iS has really kind of moved into collector car territory. It's not very affordable anymore, and it's not something you'd really want to drive on a daily basis. But the six-cylinder BMW I want to tell you about today is more than 20 years newer, so it's not a collector car, not yet anyway, and it also makes at least 60 more horsepower from its inline six-cylinder engine, so it offers up more performance as well. And the car I'm talking about is the E82 BMW 128i, the two-door coupe with a normally aspirated three-liter six-cylinder engine that was sold in the U.S. from 2008 to 2013. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not focusing today's episode on the 128's more powerful sibling, the 135i, with its twin-turbo three-liter six-cylinder engine, or even on the convertible version of the 128i, also known internally as the E88, not the E82, which is the coupe, whether it's a 128 or a 135. 
No, in this episode, I'm really pushing the idea of getting a 128i with the normally aspirated six-cylinder. And to get the most from the 128i coupe, I think you should purchase one with a six-speed manual for sure, and at least the Sport Package or the M Sport Package to get the Sport suspension and the Sport seats. There are some other features that are nice to have on a 128i, and we'll get into some of those later, but a 2008 through 2013 BMW 128i Coupe with a six-speed manual and the Sport Package is the minimum spec, in my opinion anyway, or the holy grail, if you will, for this car, in my, again, not-so-humble opinion. Okay. Now, of course, you could get a 128i with an automatic and no sport package, and you would have a decent little car that's fine. You know, there's a lot of fine cars out there that just kind of get you around. But I think the automatic transmission turns the 128i coupe into watered-down mush. It's a waste of a great chassis and motor. So I'm going to tell you, resist the temptation to be lame if you can. I'm sure there are people out there saying, well, if I have a 128 with an automatic, I'm lame. Mm, is this a trick question? <laughs> yes, you are. Get the manual. Come on. Oh, and because I'm not the only one pushing the idea of getting a 128i coupe with a manual transmission and a sport package, plus the fact that BMW didn't configure many that way, you will have a harder time finding a good one. Sorry, that's just the way it is. The good cars are just harder to find. But don't let that deter you because the payoff is well worth your time and money. Now, at some point in the future, I will talk about the 135i with its twin turbo engine. It makes 300 horsepower instead of the 228 of the 128i. But that car is in a kind of a different league and the cost is more as well as the maintenance cost and the upkeep on the car over time. So... I'm going to focus on the 128i today. Okay, so clearly I'm a fan of this car, right? But what is it about a 128i coupe with a manual transmission and the sport package that makes this car, I'm going to say, transcendent for people who love to drive? Now, I think the best single word to describe this car is balance. Balance, okay? The best driver cars deliver a balance of power, handling, acceleration, braking, ergonomics, and style. And these elements combine in a way that offers pure driving joy and value, especially value in this case. And the BMW 128i is one of those cars. Everything works in harmony, and it's so much better than you think it should be based on the numbers. So let's dig into what makes it great, starting with the engine. As I mentioned earlier, with BMW turning to turbocharging on their new internal combustion engine cars and rapidly moving towards selling a large percentage of electric-powered cars as soon as possible, a normally aspirated six-cylinder gas-powered BMW without a turbocharger may seem almost quaint. And yet, the smooth-revving 3-liter inline six-cylinder in the 128i offers up a classic driving experience that many BMW brand loyalists say they miss in the newer offerings from the company. Now, first of all, 
It makes a healthy 228 horsepower and 200 pound-feet of torque, which is enough to accelerate a 128i coupe with manual transmission from 0 to 60 miles per hour in 5.7 seconds and cover the quarter mile in 14.6 seconds at 96 miles per hour when new. This is according to a Motor Trend magazine test back in 2008. Now, depending on which BMW you compare it to, that may seem slow or not so slow. If you compare it to its more powerful sibling, the BMW 135i, with 300 horsepower and 300 pound-feet of torque, which covers that same 0 to 60 mile per hour spread about one second quicker and runs the quarter mile in 13.3 seconds at 106 miles per hour, you might be a little disappointed. But if you compare it to the first US E36 M3 from 1995, a car that BMW enthusiasts still clamor for today that made 240 horsepower and 225 pound-feet of torque from its 3-liter motor and covered 0 to 60 in 5.6 seconds and a quarter mile in 14.4 at 98 miles per hour, you'll be happy to hear that the 128i has comparable performance. Sure, it's a little bit slower than that first E36 M3, but not by much. And compared to the 135i, a 128i isn't saddled with the costly complexity of twin turbochargers as the miles add up. If you've ever owned a turbocharged car that's got higher miles, you know that unless that car has been well-maintained and oil's been changed on a regular basis, the turbos might die by 120,000 miles or sooner if not cared for. If you don't change the oil, if you don't stay on top of that, if you don't do the maintenance, um, turbochargers don't live a long life. So that's an added cost that's kind of a time bomb down the road. That's one of the reasons I like the 128i. Now on the transmission side, you have a choice of a six-speed manual or an automatic that's six speeds as well, but the manual transmission makes this a great driver's car. And since I'm always pushing cars that are fun to drive and delivering driving joy, if you will, which is a thing that really can't be quantified on a chart, but you know exactly what it is when you feel it, then I suggest you go with the manual transmission, if you can. And if you can't drive a manual yet, why not buy a 128i with a manual and use it as your excuse to learn how to drive a manual transmission? It really is fun. Come on. I suggest you do it, okay? Get the manual. Okay, now in terms of suspension, the BMW 128i borrows many bits and pieces from the 3 Series parts bin, which is a good thing, including the aluminum front suspension. It also handles great, especially when equipped with the Sport package, which, again, I recommend. Now, the key components of that package consist of a 3-spoke steering wheel, which is a nice interface for the driver, more heavily bolstered sport seats, I mean, really, you're going to want those if you drive briskly. There's also larger 17-inch wheels and a sport-tuned suspension. And those are the parts you need to make a 128i handle really well. Now, braking on this car is impressive as well, with four-wheel disc brakes and anti-lock, a setup that stops the little BMW in a short 110 feet from 60 miles per hour. And when it comes to ergonomics on the inside, you'll find quality BMW interior parts that were typical of that era and reminiscent of what you would find on sort of a similar year 3 Series sedan. Now, frankly, in my opinion, the compact, simple interior of the 128i is one of the key draws of this car. I like the simplicity of it. I like the size of it. 
And frankly, I would even opt to buy one without iDrive and navigation, because in this case, less is more. It's just you behind the wheel in a cockpit that gives you everything you need, but nothing you don't, to have an excellent driving experience. So both from a minimal feature perspective and from a style perspective, I really like the simplicity of the interior on the 128i. However, outside, the car is a little less than perfect for some people. Now, the 1 Series BMW still had some residual influence from BMW's bangle styling era that focused on what they called flame surfacing. It's more subtle on the 1 Series than it was on other earlier BMWs, but it's still there, and while I don't personally love it, I've grown to sort of accept it for what it is, and I find the car you know, pretty handsome from most angles. I think the rear three-quarter view and profile views are probably my favorite, but the front and three-quarter front views are just a little bit off. There's something about the headlights that taper off that kind of bothers me a little bit. But again, I can look past that. And overall, I think the car looks fine today. As for you, your mileage may vary. Some people don't like it. But overall, I think it looks decent. And I wouldn't put off a purchase of a 128i or any 1 Series because of that. So when it comes to any car ever made, nothing is perfect. And these cars do have some issues that pop up over time, you know, outside of the looks of the car, that will need to be watched for and dealt with. But all in all, the 128i with its N52 inline six-cylinder motor is relatively reliable. That said, here are some things to watch out for, starting with oil leaks. So BMWs are known to leak some oil over time. Um, one of the places that is pretty consistent and you will find that gets a little bit messy and can be costly if you have a mechanic replace it, is the valve cover gasket. Part of the cost comes from the fact that these cars have a lot of parts and pieces that you've got to remove before you can actually remove the valve cover. And the engine on the car is set far back in the frame, so it kind of goes under that firewall bulkhead. So it's a little bit of a reach to get back there and do the work yourself. If you're a you know DIY garage mechanic... Now, this is something I would tackle myself. I would replace the valve cover gasket on this, but you've got a lot of work to get in there to, to get to it. Another thing actually on the valve cover is the Valvetronic motor, Valvetronic actuator, uh, actually plugs into the valve cover, and there's a gasket for that that can leak as well. So if you're doing the valve cover gasket, you want to do the Valvetronic motor gasket as well and stop that. Now, are those leaks like terminal? Um, they're annoying. They can get onto electric parts and cause some issues over time if you really let it leak. I mean, it could get to the point, I guess, where it's just leaking a ton of oil, which would be bad for the engine. But most of the time, it's just sort of seeping around the edge, and it's just sort of annoying and kind of dirty, collects dust and dirt over time. But you do want to take care of it. A bigger one, I would say, is the oil filter housing. So the oil filter housing is attached to the side of the block up near the front of the engine. It's easy access so you can get to the oil filter, but if it starts to leak, it can run down the front of the engine and get on the serpentine belt that runs accessories like an you know, alternator and that sort of thing. That's not a good thing. You don't want that belt to slip off. That can happen if you don't fix it, and it's a, it's a bit of work to take that off of there. So just keep that in mind. Check that if you're looking at one of these, so oil leaks. Another big thing is Vanos. Vanos is BMW's version of variable valve timing. 
And the components for that can fail over time without proper maintenance. And proper maintenance really means you're changing the oil on a regular basis. You want to make sure that the actuators, which are they run off oil pressure from the Vano system, um, if you change the oil on a regular basis and don't let it get all gunked up, those are going to work properly for a longer period of time. Now, they could just fail on their own, I suppose, but if you keep them clean, if you change the oil, you're much more likely to have better luck in the long run. It's going to last longer, okay? Uh, it's expensive to fix, so depending on what needs to be done, uh, some of the things you could do yourself, If again, if you're a DIY person, so keep that in mind, but I'm going to attach a video in the in the show notes that kind of tells some of the issues that can go wrong with these cars. I don't want you to think that these are a problem child and these have like serious problems, but every car has its issues. So it's worth checking out that video just to get a sense of it. But again, overall, these are pretty reliable cars. Now, that said, another thing that can fail over time is the water pump. It's an electric pump. It's kind of hard to get to. And, you know, in typical BMW fashion, it's expensive. And... A lot of people recommend replacing it with a more reliable aftermarket pump. I think the impeller on the pump is made of plastic, and you'd want to replace it with a metal one. Again, this thing's electric. It doesn't run off a belt. Uh, It runs off an electric motor. So that's a part that can fail, and you want to replace it. And the last thing I'm going to mention that starts out being just sort of annoying is the hydraulic valve lifters on the car. Again, back to the oil change intervals and keeping the oil clean. If the oil has been cleaned and changed on a regular basis, you're probably going to be fine with this. But if not, those hydraulic valve lifters can wear and start to click a bit over time. Again, this is kind of less of an issue with regular oil changes. But if it does start to happen, it's an annoying sound. And if you really get to the point where you got to fix it, you know, it's in the valve train. You get, it's expensive. You got to start tearing into things. So double check to make sure that the car doesn't have any clicking sounds. Take it for a long test drive, really long. Drive it for at least an hour. You know, back roads, windy roads, freeway speeds, all that kind of stuff up and down through the gears. Make sure it gets good and hot. And if there is going to be some clicking sound that starts to show up, you should notice it over a long, you know, hours long drive. Okay. Now, Let's get into what it's going to take to finding a BMW 128i and what to look for. So let's talk about the uh, packages that came on the car. These are like option packages. So these are some of the things you might want to look for. Uh, There was a cold weather package, and that consisted of heated front seats. It did have a ski bag. Now, I think later they had the heated front seats as a separate individual feature, um, I'm a bit of a wuss. I like a heated seat. <laughs> I don't think it really makes any difference in terms of performance at all. Uh, you know, just another thing that I guess it could fail over time. But I personally like them. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you want heated seats, there's buttons on the dash that you should see. So there's that. There's also there was a convenience package. This came with keyless entry, the rear distance park sensors, a little beeper sensor as you back up. That's a nice thing to have. Had an anti-theft alarm. You're going to want that. And it also had Xenon adaptive headlights. Now, I have adaptive headlights on our Audi, and I love them. The headlights actually turn a little bit in the direction that you're turning the steering wheel. So if you're driving on like some windy back road at nighttime, no lights on the road, just your headlights, the car actually turns the headlights a little bit in the direction that you're going. It's not much. It's like 10 degrees, but it's definitely a nice thing to have. So the convenience package is something you want to look for. And if Xenon adaptive headlights were offered separately, you know, I'd get that if you can. 
Other things you might want to think about, uh, the iDrive and navigation. A lot of people like having it in the car. Personally, I don't care. Uh, it, I see it as a thing that just fails over time. You know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, when the thing fails, you just get this, you know, screen in your dash. It's not working. That's my opinion. Now, again, your mileage may vary. Get what you want. But if you want uh, iDrive and the navigation, you're going to want to look for that. And it's going to be in a screen. You'll see the screen on the dash. If it doesn't have it, if you don't see the screen, then it doesn't have have the navigation that you might want. Um, in terms of the Sport Package and the M Sport Package, uh, either one will work. So the Sport Package came with the uh, 17-inch wheels, which were a staggered wheel and tire set. They were 17-inch both front and rear, but the fronts are a 17 by 7 with a 205.50 tire size. And the rears are a 17 by 7.5 with 225.45 tires. So... When you replace tires, it gets a little bit more expensive. You can't just rotate front to back and vice versa to get the most wear out of your tires. You're going to have separate tires for the front and separate tires for the rear. And this car also came with run-flat tires. So at some point, you'll have to make a decision. Do you want to keep using run-flats or do you want to go with something else and you know keep a rattle can of that goo that fills the tire if you ever get a flat tire? Um, that's up to you, but I'm not a big fan of run flat tires. They tend to be really sort of harsh. And again, your mileage may vary. You may just be in love with it. So, uh, but definitely check that out. And it's something to consider on the tire side. The sport package does make it a little bit more expensive to drive over the long term because you're going to replace front tires separately from rear tires. All right. Um, the sport package also comes with the eight way adjustable front sport seats with adjustable side bolsters. You really want those. They're a nice seat. They hold you in place when you're cornering hard. Uh, it's just a great way to go. Again, the suspension is calibrated for uh, you know sportier driving, and you do get that three-spoke steering wheel that's just a really nice interface in the car. So I would definitely look for a car with a sport package or what they call the M Sport package, which has a couple more things. I think it has uh, oh Chatelaine trim around the windows. And I think it has a little bit different kind of body shape, and you get different wheel with the M Sport package. Is it something you have to have? It's a nice to have. I mean, I would rather have an M Sport over a Sport package. But if I didn't find a 128i with the M Sport, if it just had the Sport package, I would be fine. And you will be too, okay? Again, these cars are hard to find configured with a manual and a Sport package of any type. So do what you can to find the best car possible. But when you find it, buy it. Okay, so what else should you look for beyond the packages, beyond the options on the car? Uh, you also want to get a car with as low a miles as possible, one that's been regular maintenance, especially oil changes. And, you know, I'd say go for minimal owners because one or two enthusiastic owners who took really good care of the car, it's going to be better in the long run than a car that's changed hands frequently, that sort of thing. You want a car that's well cared for, Okay. Low miles is important. Lower is better than higher, of course. But I wouldn't shy away from a higher mileage car that's been well-maintained by a single enthusiastic owner. One owner car is oftentimes a great way to go, especially with these enthusiast BMWs. And as I mentioned earlier, I really recommend taking it for a long test drive. And to me, a long test drive is an hour or more. I mean, really drive it a long way in as many conditions as you 
plan to encounter when you drive the car. So if you're going to take it out on windy roads in the countryside, go take it out on a windy road in the countryside for 20 minutes of your drive. Then take it out for 20 minutes of driving on the freeway. And then take it into the city and drive it for 20 minutes. Again, you may not live in a place that allows that sort of a test drive, but I would at least drive it for an hour, no matter what conditions you're driving it in. And that's to allow everything to heat up, the coolant, the oil, the gaskets. Uh, things will start to leak and you'll smell funky smells like coolant or oil burning if a car hasn't been well-maintained. An hour is more than enough time to get that thing good and hot so you can find some problems. Now, I'm not saying you're going to find problems, but you know if there's something going on there, you want to know about it. And then, assuming you have the time to do it, and you're near the car, you're not buying it from a distance, like uh, through an auction or something, um, I would have the car checked by a mechanic. Okay, I always recommend that. Take it in to a mark specialist who knows the car, knows those type of cars, and have them do a thorough inspection. And if it costs you, you know, a couple hundred bucks, so what? That's your insurance policy, right? You don't want to find out later, oh, I guess I should have had it checked because, you know, the Valtronic's bad and it's going to cost me 2500 to fix it. Yeah, you don't want to do that, right? <laughs> you know, pay 250 and if it turns out the car's bad, well, then you can walk away. Sure, it costs you 200 bucks, 250 bucks, but that's insurance. You got to look at it that way. Now, what about pricing? So these are tough. They're popular, configured the way I'm talking about. There's not a lot below $10,000. Below $10,000, you're going to find, you know, you might find a car. I'm not saying you won't, but it's just much, much harder to find that combination of good condition car, you know, with the six-speed manual and the sport package, okay? It's just hard to find that combination below 10000 Now, you might find a basic car that might have some of the attributes. It has, you know, it's in good shape. Might have a little bit higher miles um, and has a manual transmission. So, for example, I did find one locally that's um, red, really nice looking. They want $9,000 for it, but it has 173,000 miles. It is a manual, but there's no sport package. It's configured in a, it's nice, it's kind of basic, but I don't know, 173K. I think I would want something, you know, if you lop off 50,000 miles, Lofop 70,000 miles, I'd, I'd want to get something closer to 100,000 or less, really. I mean, I'd really prefer to have it for 20,000 miles, but you're going to pay a lot for that. I would prefer to pay less, but that car was nine grand with 173,000 and a manual no sport package. So there's that. The next category, between ten to 15,000, and that's a pretty big spread. So you're probably going, that's not really fair. It'd probably be more like 10 to 12,5 and 12,5 to 15. Look, in that range from ten to fifteen thousand, you're going to find good to great examples. You might find the perfect car in that price range. You may find something great for ten five or eleven five. I'm not saying you won't. It's just you know sometimes a you get lucky, sometimes b you look a long time to get lucky. So is that lucky or is that just you did the work? I don't know, but you might find exactly the right car. You might find the sport package, low miles, one owner. Uh, manual transmission car. Um, you can also tell yourself, hey, screw that Gary guy. I'm going to go out and buy an automatic. Hey, fine. I'm not telling you not to do it. Well, I am telling you not to do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you not to do it. But you don't have to listen to me, right? If you really just want one with an automatic and you're okay with that, it's still going to be a great handling car. It just won't extract the most performance and joy out of the car that you should. So 
you know, again, get the manual. What are you thinking? All right. And then finally, I think you're going to most likely find the car that you want configured the way I'm talking about at 15,000 or above. I found a few that were, you know, like right around 16, 17 ish, uh, that were really nice, great colors, manual transmission, the M sport package, just really nicely configured in a way. And, and they know it, right? When they put the ad up, they're like, this is the holy grail of the BMW 128i. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know you know. Uh, now, you might find somebody who's a dummy and they don't know what they have, but chances are that's not, not going to be the case. So you're really most likely going to find these at 15000 or above. You might get lucky between ten and fifteen. So there you go. That's kind of the pricing. So... If you're looking for a classic analog driving experience behind the wheel of a small, nimble BMW two-door coupe, and especially one with the last normally aspirated inline six-cylinder engines that BMW offered, then a BMW 128i coupe with a six-speed manual and the sport package just might be the perfect car for you. But when you find a good one, don't blink because people who know what to look for in BMWs know about this car, so the good ones don't last very long. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe and follow this podcast so I can bring you more reviews of cool used cars, trucks, and SUVs available at a price you'll love. Also, coming up soon is an episode on the classy Lexus SC400 Coupe a V8-powered sport luxury machine that can make easy work of your daily commute or your next long-distance trip. So be sure to keep an ear out for that one. And until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.